the ideas within these books would really spark that curiosity. And there's a lot of uh, quick wins that you can take from these to take back to your programs, to take back into your everyday life. Welcome to the Fail Little Plan podcast. I'm Shane Matthew. And during times of crisis, people find themselves faced with lifestyle changes. One of the earliest and most noticeable changes seen during the COVID-19 lockdown was how we consume media, and especially how we read. People tend to find comfort in certain books, and reading habits and genre preferences can change during periods of stress. And these patterns of changing reading habits were definitely happening during COVID-19. A UK publication decided to research reading habits among the UK public by polling 860 participants. They found that the COVID-19 lockdown changed not only how people read this year, but also what people turned to for comfort or distraction. So despite the early figures showing spikes in interest for content about pandemics and isolation, it appears that the research participants quickly tired of these topics. Now, many participants found the lockdown to be a great opportunity to explore things they didn't normally have time or desire to read or to fill other gaps in knowledge. So that got me thinking. What books would be valuable to discover or rediscover as a business continuity professional during this year? And that's when I was reminded of my friend Eric Inez. Eric Inez is the global head of business resilience at Finastra, a financial technology company based in London. Eric is a proven leader with well over a decade of experience leading change and transformation in the operation resilience field. But Eric comes to mind because of the recommendations he makes based on his avid reading style. Eric reads between 40 to 60 books each year. Sometimes you'll hear from this interview, four at a time. Quarterly, Eric has been releasing his recommendations for books that he reads that has influenced his journey as a professional and a BC leader. So I asked him to join our show and share his recommendations for the top 10 books he'd recommend to our listeners hoping to improve their professional journey. Thanks for joining us this week on the show. As always, make sure to subscribe to the show through iTunes and other podcast sites. This week, we've hit the 150-member mark on our LinkedIn page, so we're asking our listeners to take a quick poll that can be found on the page so we can fine-tune our content for you. All right, let's get on with the show. Well, welcome, Eric Inez, to the show. I appreciate you being here with us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, Eric is, uh, is one of my LinkedIn connections. And the reason why I wanted to talk with Eric, and I think the show would really value uh, hearing from someone like him, is because he loves to read. And it, it's, if, if, it's, if you're not a friend with Eric, then you're going to have to become one because his book recommendations have really been hitting home runs for me recently. Uh, there have been a couple that... Uh, he, he likes to uh, put on the, the, uh, the social media site LinkedIn, and, and it's, it's really been working out in terms of saying, hey, whoa, I, I, I appreciate that one too. I've read that one, or no, this is a new one to the list. But Eric, how, what do you do right now so our team, our, our Failover Plan podcast team understands like, you know, why are your book recommendations important here? It's more important, like your background is so uh, interesting too. You're in the field, you're in the profession, but this is something that uh, you kind of do as well. So tell yeah. us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, I'm currently the uh, global head of uh, business resiliency and crisis management for Finastra. Um, we are a fintech. We are actually the third largest fintech in the world. Um, and we operate in 
you know, uh, just a, a high number of countries um, in every continent, pretty much. Uh, about 10,000 employees uh, worldwide. Um, so obviously, um, we see an array of risks, especially as you know, in the world that we live in today, right, with uh, with COVID and um, all of the other issues that we have going. So uh, a pretty diverse uh, sort of set of, of business continuity and risk management challenges that we see there. Um, yeah. I'm also uh, uh, on the advisory council of the Crisis Ready Institute. Um, and I've been in the field for about 14 years, um, started in the financial services industry, um, migrated into more of a high hazard world uh, around uh, public utilities. Then I went into uh, a little bit of uh, short time with government work with the Department of Homeland Security in uh, critical infrastructure, sort of counterterrorism planning to some of our uh, critical facilities. Um, and then migrated into the uh, logistics space before uh, joining Finastra a little bit over six months ago. Wow. So uh, for those people who don't understand Finastra's work, like, you know, uh, for, for you specifically, like, you're obviously a global company. Uh, but what does the day to day look like for you and your team? Like, uh, is it a one event after another kind of thing? Or are you focused on business continuity and, and crisis? Yeah, um, a, a little bit of both, right? I think, uh, um, just sort of given our footprint, we, we, we do have um, days where we may have multiple events or just a singular event. Um, we may have days with no events, but we're, we're really maturing the, the program to be more uh, proactive than reactive, right? So we're, we're probably more uh, towards the, uh, the looking out for information and taking in as many feeds as we can to ensure sort of duty of care of our people on the crisis management side of things. Um, then we are on the actual spin up or reacting to an actual incident. Um, we've been able to sort of turn the cards on that, right? From from firefighting to fire prevention, as I like to call it. Uh, so we, we do a lot more fire prevention than we do firefighting, which is, which is yeah, we, in well, my opinion, is the right, the right sort of mentality is. to have. It is. I agree with that. And a lot of people struggle uh, with that idea, but it is in, in, inevitably a, a a good approach to apply to your program, especially ones of your size. Now, yeah. of course, I mentioned earlier, I mean, the reason we're talking today specifically is just your your appetite for reading. It's it's quite extensive. And uh, but, you know, tell me about that. Did, did, did you always do that uh, prior to even getting into the profession? Or was this uh, something uh, that started because uh, you're banging your head against the wall <laughs> in business continuity and needed yeah. some help. Yeah, so so this has taken off over the last, I would say the mainly the last decade or so, right? Um, I, I I think as a kid, um, you know, uh, high school even early college, I, I I wasn't sort of the the, the habitual reader, right? I I I was more of the Cliff Notes guy, right? <laughs> of like. Uh, I have to read, you know, a, a 300 page book. Well, let me go read the 40 page cliff notes and, and maybe watch the movie yeah. that goes along with it. I kind of sort of get the main idea and everything, but then, then yeah. it really transitioned. I think, I think the moment for where it transitioned for me, uh, I remember I, I must've been about a sophomore or junior in college. Um, and it was, uh, it was a business course that I was taking and it, it, we did a case study on McDonald's. 
McDonald's, right? And at that point, right, your early 20s McDonald's, you think hamburgers, right? So we're, we're, we're doing this business case study, and all of a sudden, it's like it, the, the switch went off that it's like, hey, McDonald's is not really the burger business. It's in the real estate business, right? Yeah, they yeah. actually own all the locations. They own the land. It's like it's a lease back to the franchisee. And that just sort of sparked something in me that it's like, well, what it, it was that sort of the mentality shift of like, what else out there in the world yeah. is not what it what it seems right and then sort of started this sort of this inquisitive uh journey of like let me dig a little bit deeper right let me go to the next level of abstraction or whatever it is that I'm, that i'm interested in um and as i sit today i think i average uh between 50 to 60 books a year um I, uh, I I don't do fiction. I just can't. It's one of those things that I've tried. Uh, I'll do five pages, put it away, do another five pages, put it away, and then five years go by, and it's like, you know what? I'm still staring at the goldfinch in my, uh, in my shelf, and I haven't gotten past chapter one. Um, so we're not talking about the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah. This is no. not going to be on the list. If that's what you're calling, if that's what you're <laughs> downloading this episode for, this is not going to be it. <laughs> but that's interesting. So just as a side note for those listeners, I'm really glad you brought up the McDonald's story because that is so true. That there's a there's a completely different perspective. So if you if you're the movie people, then the founders may be an option for you in case right. you're interested. And if you're a uh, book junkie then fast food nation may be an opportunity for you to learn a little bit more about that story but but i digress but uh so so you have to be a curious person by nature then if you're thinking about these backgrounds to these uh, stories that you may not have explored is that the case yeah and uh it's uh I would say that anyone that's in this profession is curious by nature, right? Um, I think what we do as professionals is we go into organizations not really being experts in a specific field besides our own, right? And we're able to sort of ship, shape, shift, right? We we can have a business continuity program manager that can work in the utility sector, and then you know what? That person can transition to financial services, can transition to a software organization, uh, can transition into manufacturing because I think it's because of the nature of how we're wired, right? We're always trying to, and if you think of what a BIA is and what a business continuity plan is and sort of the planning process, you are really asking those identifying questions that are going to drive you to an end result. Um, I think where some, where some of us fall short is in, in transitioning that to our everyday lives, right? And transitioning yeah. that into our own thought patterns. Uh, a lot of the times we, we sort of think that we know what we know um, and we're a little bit hesitant, right? We're a little bit guarded on bringing new ideas in because those new ideas may challenge the ideas that we've, you know, built over the last five, six, seven or ten years or even our entire career. Um, it's, it's about having uh, also being humble in, in your own thought process, right? To know to know when it's time to, to introduce uh, new ideas, new perspectives into what you do. Right. Right now, I agree because I think as business kind of professionals, you're kind of like the chameleon of an organization where you're you have to shift, like you said, your uh, mindset and your understanding. You have to have you have to have a, a knowledge of almost every single process in the business, right? And at least to be able to coach somebody through their strategizing and planning. So you do have to have a curiosity, a healthy curiosity, on the forefront to understand people's parts of the business. So that's interesting. 
Yeah. So, you know, some people may look at this as kind of like a, you know, a discussion around, around just, you know, getting to read more, but you know, what, what does this do for you? What, what has this done for you in particular as you've uh, begin to incorporate these kind of ideas you're gaining from these books and, and, and study? Yes, yeah, so I'm a firm believer that this has done a lot. I think on the on the personal side, uh, self development is a huge thing. Um, it, it's a huge thing for me personally. It's it's something that I that I encourage with my teams. Um, it's something I tell them all the time. It's it's like you know you're in charge of your own self development. Um, I am like a 401k. I will match your contribution to that self-development. So it's, you know, you guys show me how you're interested, show me areas that you want to grow, and I will put as much into that as, 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 you, as you will. Wow. Um, and leading by example, I do the same thing, right? I think, I think from, from the self-development route, it, it's, it's provided a lot of benefit. From the program end, it's provided a lot of benefits um, because I've been able to incorporate ideas that may not be traditionally business continuity or crisis management ideas, um, not only into the program development, but how we interact with stakeholders. Um, just like McDonald's in the real estate business, no matter what organization you work for in business continuity, you are in the people business. If yeah. your stakeholders don't want to deal with you, if they don't want to give you the time <laughs> of day, your program is dead in the water, right? Um, right, right, right. So right. it's it's a lot to do with that as well, right? It, it's, yeah. it, it's applying those those soft skills um, to everything that we do. Yeah, okay? so this is the topic that everybody in every conference and every article, <laughs> practically, we hear this term, soft skills and development of yourself. You know, but I'm not sure people really are able to apply this. So this is going to be an excellent opportunity for us to kind of walk through some things that help guide you. And uh, I think, uh, you know, this is going to be helpful to a lot of people. So so what we're going to talk through is some of the book recommendations that Eric has developed with his years in this profession, uh, his, his, like you said, his curiosity and his self-development. Yeah, so I'm going to put that list together on our website uh, on on the failover plans episode for for Eric, so you'll get to kind of assess yourself. But uh, Eric, Eric, help us walk through kind of like an an overarching picture. What what kinds of books are these that are listed in the uh, in the list from you? Yeah, so this this top ten list, right? These are uh, just full disclosure here. These are not my top ten favorite books of all time. Um, these are more if if I was starting today to say, hey, you know, I'm gonna really start to build my own self development, my own curiosity. What is the what, what are the ten curated books that I would go back, you know, a decade or so and hand to myself? Um, these are the ones that, that that I put together on that. And the main reason why I did that is because I think. The ideas within these books would really spark that curiosity, and there's a lot of uh, quick wins that you can take from these to take back to your programs, to take back into your everyday life. Um, you know, without going step by step on this list. I mean, if if if, if you look at a book like The Tipping Point from Malcolm Gladwell, uh, which by the way, Gladwell is my favorite author of all times. So I don't think. Yeah. I don't think he can write an article or a book that you would not enjoy. Um, this really takes a look at, at uh, sociological changes. 
that mark everyday life, right? So a lot of the times these things happen within society that, that you think to yourself, you know, how in God's beautiful green earth are Beanie Babies selling by the billions, right? If you go back a couple, a couple years or like what's the obsession with Pokemon and like these these sort of things that you try to understand what makes group of, groups of people sort of click and attach to an idea, a product, a service, whatever it may be, that's, that, that, that book gives you great insight into how that works. Um, sticking with my, with Gladwell, uh, his newest book, which is Talking to Strangers, it's it's been phenomenal for me uh, with stakeholder engagement. Um, the, the idea behind this book, it's all about how we communicate, right? Um, I'm a firm believer that in order for you to be successful in life, whether it's personally or professionally, you need to have um, uh, authentic and genuine communication with people. And it's got to be, you know, it's what makes it effective, right? People need to know that you're genuine. Uh, it's, it's, it's a key point, but where, where this makes it very interesting is that he goes into um, the psychology of communication. And uh, there's this concept that some people are mismatched. And what that means is that a lot of the times your body language doesn't really match your thoughts, your emotions that are happening from the conversation, um, which is, it, it's one of those mentality shifts, right? Because throughout life, people have been telling us, well, communication is 90% body language. And it, it, it's right. true in the majority of cases for people that are not mismatched. Um, I can tell you at, at a previous organization, uh, the boss that I reported to, we had just horrendous communication probably for about the first year and a half. Um, and it was one of those conundrums that I, I, I would try to solve every time we talked to each other, right? It's like, why are we not on the same page? Um, and after reading this book, I started to realize, well, maybe she is mismatched, right? Because a lot of the times it was her reaction, sort of her body language, her facial expressions that were telling me a different story than what she was actually verbally saying. Um, by sort of putting that aside and, and really taking a little bit more time to sort of study her body language um, and see how the two were not correlating with each other and yeah. removing that as a variable, right? I completely said, you know, if she truly is mismatched, I am going to have conversations with her and ignore the body language. Because body language is going to give me something completely different. Does that mean you like going with your eyes closed or? Like no, it, it, it was it was one of those that it's like you know I went in and I sort of had a very sort of uh, uh, consciously ignore the, the sort of the body language cues that I was getting from her, right? Gotcha. So if she was saying something that to me came across as logical and caring and emotional, but her body language was more of like she was, she felt like she was in a repulsive type of situation. Uh, I sort of ignore that, right? And, and just stuck, I, I took it right at face value, right? It's like whatever's coming out of her mouth, that's what I'm going to take as a sort of the message that she wants me to achieve. Interesting, interesting. Um, and then we actually ended up having a great relationship after that, right? Uh, it, it, it removed that, bar that, that that barrier, right? Sort of that barrier to communicate between both of us. Right. Um, it was a complete change in, in, in how we spoke with each other. Um, okay. So, you know, going back to my earlier question about the, the book choices, are these, would you consider these to be self-help or self-development type of books? Or are they like, 
you know, business oriented books? Like what would be kind of, is there a similarity amongst them or are they all different? There are some similarities on some of these. Um, there's definitely diversity of ideas in, in, in this list. I will consider these to be sort of the circuit training for your brain. Right. Uh, um, I, I was very conscious in not giving you, uh, you know, just bicep workouts. I, I wanted to give you something that <laughs> that was that, that would cover full your body. brain. Yeah, full yeah. body. Uh, there are business books on this. Uh, the the Ride right of a Lifetime by Bob Iger is there. Uh, okay. Right, he was recently retired uh, CEO of Disney. Um, the reason why I like this one is because he wasn't born with a silver spoon. Uh, he beat all odds. Nobody ever thought that he was going to be picked as Disney CEO. Um, you know, he was coming in after a CEO that was there for 20 plus years, which was Michael Eisner. Uh, yeah. Had done some phenomenal things for the company, and, and sort of the expectation of Bob was like below par, right? Um, but if you're able to see, he, he's in the book. Something that he does that, that's really inspiring is that he sets out his strategic objectives that he gave the, the board of directors when he was named CEO. Um, and he walks you through sort of the, the how he got from point A to point B, yeah. and he shows you his failures in creating that strategy as he was flushing it out with his peers and how they told him to simplify it. It's like stick to the three key pillars, right? And I think we, we do that often when we're asked to develop sort of a strategy for program maturity. We sort of try to do too much or try to get too in the weeds. Uh, so it, it, this book really shows you the difference between strategic objectives and sort of the tactical mission to achieve your strategic objectives, um, which is which is why I put it on the list. So would you categorize the books on your list as as uh, business? Is there any books on the list that are business continuity focused? Or are they all self-development focused? No, there's 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 actually the the only plane in the sky is 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 been my favorite book that I read um, last year. It's actually my wife gave it to me as a Christmas present. Uh, it, it it's really a a full-on history of what happened in 9/11. So it's it's all the different perspectives from the International Space Station to what's actually happening in Ground Zero, right? Um, and and it really sort of takes you back in time, right? Because we, at least for our generations, 9/11 was what for our parents' generations the Kennedy assassination was, right? You sort of remember yeah. where you were and what you were doing. Um, so it does a couple things. It takes you back to that place. It sort of takes you back to the perspective you had as you were watching TV and as you were watching things unfold. Sort of the feeling of uncertainty that we had around those times, right? I, I, I recall all of us being afraid to like even go to a grocery store, go out on vacation, do anything because we didn't know where the next shoe was going to drop. Right. Uh, it, it takes you back to that feeling, but then it also shows you what other people in the same situation were going through in, your, in their perspective. Um, and the lessons that you can take from that, um, from a business continuity standpoint, number one is that context drives behavior. Um, so that's something to really think about when, when you're doing simulations, when you're doing tabletop exercises, um, when you're working with your stakeholders, especially in the crisis management field, mm. as practitioners, as program developers, we have full control of the environment, right? So in essence, we can create that context for them to either thrive in or not do so well in. So it, 
understanding that would allow you to really formulate your exercises from a different scope, a different standpoint, right? Um, I don't think that you should exercise to pass with flying colors, but you also don't want to exercise to fail to the point where, you know, you, you don't even want to look in the mirror for the next couple of days. <laughs> right. uh, it, it's got to be somewhere in be, w w what I usually tell my teams and what I tell my executive teams when we do exercises is the purpose of this exercise, my purpose in this exercise is to hold up the mirror. You tell me whether or not you like the reflection that you see in the mirror. If you like it, great. You know, we're either at a good spot, we've done our job to get you to a place that you're proud of what we have. If we don't like the, re the reflection that you see in the mirror, then we have work to do. And we're going to figure out together how we get from point A to point B. Um, right. And this, this gives you that sort of perspective. Absolutely. So I noticed another book, the number five on the list, is Pre-Accident Investigations by Todd Conklin. Is that, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about that book. It seems to be yeah, more in the so same vein. Yeah, so Todd, Todd's actually a good friend. Todd is, is phenomenal. He's the best public speaker I've ever seen in my life. Um, Todd is a, uh, he's a PhD out of New Mexico. He works for the Los Alamos National Laboratory. Um, and really in everything regarding sort of safety and human and operational performance. Um, so really it is, the, if you take a look at the safety industry and, and, and the old view of safety is that workers are a problem to be solved, right? So if I'm running a, a safety department, let's say for a major oil organization, my issue is people. People keep getting hurt. People don't follow procedures. They don't follow the way things should be done. What Todd did throughout his career, what he continues to do, is that he said, wait a minute. Humans are, are fallible, right? We make mistakes. Just by definition, that's what being human is all about. So why are, we, why are we expecting perfection out of a system that relies on people being perfect, right? Yeah. The system right. is flawed. It's not the people that are flawed. Um, and what he says is you really need to look at workers instead of being the problem as the problem fixers. They do the work. They can tell you how to do it more effectively and efficiently. Um, and he has a lot of really cool concepts. One of them is this whole black line, blue line concept. And the black line concept, it, it pretty much states that how we think that work is performed, it's linear, right? So if I was drawing a line on a board, on, on a blackboard, it would be a straight line. And I would say the way that I write procedures, work starts at point A and it moves just in all sunshines and rainbow to point B. What Todd says is that's how we think of work being performed. The way that work is performed, it's more like a Six Flags roller coaster, right? It goes <laughs> up and down, up and down, right. up and down. And everything is fine when that happens, right? On a daily basis, that's how work gets done for 20, 30 years till an incident happens. And then when an incident happens, we come in and we say, well, the issue that the, the, the reason why this incident happened is because the worker did not do its job the way that it was intended to be, the way that it was recorded, right? So we, if you're looking at this from a linear graph, we sort of look at the difference between the straight line and the squiggly line, right? Uh, what Todd says is there's this other line which are real world conditions. So the worker is smart enough to adjust his or her work environment, the way in which he or she operates based on those external environmental conditions. 
it isn't until the external conditions sort of meet the squiggly line of how work is actually done where incidents get created. Mm. And if we focus on just the gap between how we document work and how we execute work, we're, we're going back to sort of what everyone calls the root cause, right? Which in his methodology is root cause doesn't really tell you anything because root cause is a singular reason why an accident happened. And the majority of times is human error, right? Which on its own doesn't make any sense because as humans, we are engineered to make errors. <laughs> uh, right. So what, what Todd is saying, that line, that gap between how the work is actually done and the real life conditions, that's operational learning. And as organizations, we need to come in and look at that gap rather than the gap between how it's done and how it's recorded, because that is the cornerstone of operational excellence, is when you can actually learn from yourself and from your um, from the way in which you do work. Um, and having that mentality shift is it does wonders for you when you're doing when you're doing investigations when you're doing BIAs when you're doing claims when you're doing even uh, uh, incident simulations or activations because you're no longer looking at hey are we doing this the way that we're supposed to be doing it right it's like are we doing this in the most effective way and are we taking into consideration the ecosystem in which we're working. Yeah. Um, that's a huge sort of mentality shift. And, and there's actually like five more that Todd has written after that, that once you go through this one, you're going to want to go through the other ones, right? Ah, uh, but this is sort of the building block for that one. Awesome. So is there a uh, order to the list? I know there's 10 on the list and typically we think of the top 10 list, but is, is it in an order or is it kind of like, these are just the 10 that, that uh, I think everyone should read. I think you can, you can, dice that list any way that you want right you can start from the middle and work your way up and then down um, okay. if you're like if you're like me you probably read there's some uh, i read about four books at a time and it just depending sort of what my mind wants to sort of uh you know absorb yeah. at that time right so uh, i i may pick one up and read two chapters and then put it down for three weeks while i read four or five chapters and another one Right. Um, so yeah, there's really no uh, hierarchical steps on on how to achieve this. Amazing. Well, Eric, thank you for sharing this with us. I'm we're, like I said, we're going to put this list out, and, uh, and I encourage you, listeners, to all check this out because I think, as Eric mentioned, you know, the the value here is to be able to apply lessons learned and information others have gained. Uh, it, it may not necessarily be strictly business continuity, but the universal truths that some of these books expose can really quickly apply to our work. So I encourage you all to check this list out. And uh, Eric, how can they uh, give you the thumbs up or thumbs down <laughs> if uh, if they if they agree or disagree or or have some more questions? Is it is it okay if they reach out to you on LinkedIn and and talk through it with you? For sure, yeah. Uh, LinkedIn is, is definitely a community to, to keep in mind, and I think there's there's sort of an expectation from my connections that on a quarterly basis I sort of release the new right. um, the new reading list. And it's funny enough, people will actually ping me and say, "Hey, man, we're like halfway through the quarter. Like, what's going on? <laughs> right. uh, I haven't seen I haven't seen your uh, your list. You list, know, right. it's like at least the last couple quarters. It's like, well, you know, like we have COVID going on, right?" 
right? Like this is the time where my profession gets really busy. Yeah. Uh, sort yeah. of my, my reading has slowed down a little bit because I'm reading WHO reports on, on cost of <laughs> transmission. Uh, yeah, I noticed that none of those are on the list. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, I don't have a lot of time to, you know, sort of read Adam Grant and, 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 and Malcolm Gladwell when I'm reading, you know, sort of medical journals. So. Right, right. Well, Eric, here's to your reading appetite that it can hopefully pick up again. And uh, we hope uh, we can get more lists from you. So thanks again for joining us on the show today. Thank you. No, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us this week on the Failover Plan podcast. You can find out more about Eric Inez by visiting our website, failoverpodcast.com. We've placed the complete list of Eric's book recommendations there, so you can start your reading journey. This week, check out our LinkedIn group. You can find us by going to linkedin.com slash company slash failoverpodcast. And add your vote to the poll we're going to put up this week so we can get your feedback about upcoming episodes. Thanks again for listening, and remember, why learn how to do something on your own when there's got to be someone else who may have already learned this the hard way.